Part Two, Chapter Fifteen of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. The city's golden spire it was when hope and health were strongest, but now it is the churchyard grass we look upon the longest. E. B. Browning. A disinclination for exertion or going into public hung upon Dr. May, but he was obliged to rouse himself to attend the town council meeting, which was held a few days after the vicar's funeral, to decide on the next appointment. If it had depended on himself alone, his choice would have been Dr. Edward Wilmot, whom the death of his good old father had uprooted from Settlesham, and the girls had much hope, but he was too much out of spirits to be sanguine. He said that he should only hear a great deal of offensive stuff from Tompkins the brewer, and that, in the desire to displease nobody, the votes should settle down on some non-entity, was the best which was likely to happen. Thus, grumbling, he set off, and his daughters watched anxiously for his return. They saw him come through the garden with a quick, light step that made them augur well, and he entered the room with the corners of his mouth turning up, "'I see,' said Ethel. "'It is all right.' "'They were going to have made a very absurd choice. "'But you prevented it? "'Who was it?' "'Ah, I told you Master Ritchie was turning out a popular preacher.' "'You don't mean that they chose Richard?' cried Margaret breathlessly. "'As sure as my name is Dick May, they did, every man of them, except Tompkins, "'and even he held his tongue. "'I did not think it of them,' said the doctor, almost overcome." but there is much more goodness of heart in the world than one gives it credit for. And good Dr. May was not one to give the least credit for all that was like himself. But it was Richard's own doing, he continued. Those sermons made a great impression, and they love the boy, because he has grown up among them. The old mare waddled up to me, as I came in, telling me that they had been talking it over, and they were unanimously agreed that they could not have a parson they should like better than Mr. Richard. "'Good old Mr. Doddesley. I can see him,' cried Ethel. "'I expected it so little that I thought he meant some Richards. "'But no, he said Mr. Richard May, if he had nothing better in view. "'They liked him and knew he was a very steady, good young gentleman, "'and if he took after his fathers that went before him, "'and they thought we might like to have him settled near.' "'How very kind,' said Margaret, as the tears came. We shall love our own townsfolk better than ever. I always told you so, if you would but believe it. They have warm, sound hearts, every one of them. I declare, I did not know which way to look. I was so sorry to disappoint them. Disappoint them, cried Margaret, in consternation. I was thinking, said Ethel. I do not believe Richard would think himself equal to this place in such a state as it is. He is so diffident. Yes, said Dr. May. If he were ten or twelve years older, it would be another thing. But here, where everything is to be done, he would not bring weight or force enough. He would only work himself to death for individuals without going to the root. Margaret, my darling, I am very sorry to have disappointed you so much. It would have been as great a pleasure as we could have had in this world to have the lad here. And Coxmore, sighed Ethel. I shall be grateful all my life to those good people for thinking of it, continued the doctor. 
but look you here it was my business to get the best man chosen in my power and though as to goodness i believe the dear richie has not many equals i don't think we can conscientiously say he would be at present the best vicar for stoneborough ethel would not say no for fear she should pain margaret besides continued dr may after having staved off the sale of the presentation as a sin it would hardly have been handsome to have let my own son profit by it it would have seemed as if we had our private ends when richard helped poor old mr ramsden margaret owned this and ethel said richard would be glad to be spared the refusal i was sure of it the poor fellow would have been perplexed between the right and consideration for us a vicar here ought to carry things with a high hand and that is hardest to do at a man's own home especially for a quiet lad like him yes papa it was quite right said margaret recovering herself it has spared richard a great deal but are we to have mr wilmot said ethel think of our not having heard ay if they would not have had wilmot or a man of his calibre perhaps i might have let them offer it to richard i almost wish i had with help and ethel no no papa said margaret you are making me angry with myself for my folly. It is much better for Richard himself, and for us all, as well as the town. Think how long we have wished for Mr. Wilmot. He will be in time for the opening of Coxmoor School, cried Ethel. How did you manage it? I did not manage it all, said the doctor. I told them exactly my mind, that Richard was not old enough for such arduous work, and though no words could tell how obliged I was, if they asked me who was the best man for it i knew i should say edward wilmot and i thought he deserved something from us for the work he did gratis when he was second master tompkins growled a little but fortunately no one was prepared with another proposal so they all came round and the mary is to write by this evening's post and so shall i if we could only have given richard a dozen more years margaret was somewhat comforted to find that the sacrifice had cost her father a good deal she was always slightly jealous for richard and now that alan was gone she clung to him more than ever his soft calm manner supported her more than any other human comforter and she always yearned after him when absent more than for all the other brothers but her father's decision had been too high-minded for her to dare to wish it recalled and she could not but own that richard would have had to undergo more toil and annoyance than perhaps his health would have endured flora had discontinued comments to her sisters on her father's proceedings finding that observations mortified margaret and did not tend to peace with ethel but she told her husband that she did not regret it much for richard would have exhausted his own income and his father's likewise in paying curates and raising funds for charities she scarcely expected mr edward wilmot to accept the offer aware as he was of the many disadvantages he should have to contend with and unsuccessful as he had been in dealing with the ladies committee however mr wilmot signified his thankful acceptance and in due time his familiar tap was heard at the drawing-room door at tea-time as if he had just returned after the holidays he was most gladly welcomed and soon was installed in his own place with his goddaughter mary blushing with pleasure at pouring out his coffee well ethel how is coxmore how like old times oh cried ethel 
we are so glad you will see the beginning of the school i hear you are finishing cherry elwood too much against ethel's will said margaret but we thought cherry not easily spoiled and whitford school seems to be in very good order dr spencer went and had an inspection of it and conferred with all the authorities ah we have a jewel of a parishioner for you said dr may i have some hopes of stoneborough now mr wilmot did not look too hopeful but he smiled and asked after granny hall and the children polly grew up quite civilized said ethel she lives at whitford with some very respectable people and sends granny presents which make her merrier than ever last time it was a bonnet and jenny persuaded her to go to church in it though she said what she called the mood of it was too small how do the people go on i cannot say much for them it is disheartening we really have done nothing so very few go to church regularly none at all went in my time said mr wilmot elwood always goes said mary and taylor yes and sam hall very often and many of the women in the evening because they like to walk home with the children the children the sunday scholars oh everyone that is big enough comes to school now here on sunday if only the teaching were better have you sent out any more pupils to service not many there is willie brown trying to be dr spencer's little groom said ethel but i am afraid it will take a great deal of the doctor's patience to train him added margaret it is hard said dr may he did it purely to oblige ethel and i tell her when he lames the pony i shall expect her to buy another for him out of the cocksmore funds ethel and mary broke out in a course of defence of willie brown there was ben wheeler said mary who went to work at the quarries and the men could not teach him to say bad words because the young ladies told him not the young ladies have not quite done nothing said dr may smiling these are only little stray things and cherry has done the chief of them said ethel oh it is grievously bad still she added sighing such want of truth such ungoverned tongues and tempers such godlessness altogether it is only surface work taming the children at school while they have such homes and their parents even if they do come where they might learn better are always liable to be upset as they call it turned out of their places in church and they will not run the chance the church must come to them said mr wilmot could the school be made fit to be licensed for service ask our architect said dr may there can be little doubt i have been settling that i must have a curate specially for cocksmoor said mr wilmot can you tell me of one ethel or perhaps margaret could margaret could only smile faintly for her heart was beating seriously said mr wilmot turning to dr may do you think richard would come and help us here this seems to be his destiny said the doctor smiling only it would not be fair to tell you lest you should be jealous that the town council had a great mind for him the matter was explained and mr wilmot was a great deal more struck by dr may's conduct than the good doctor thought it deserved every one was only too glad that richard should come as cocksmore curate and though the stipend was very small since mr wilmot meant to have other assistance yet by living at home it might be feasible margaret's last words that night to ethel were the last wish i had dared to make is granted 
Mr. Wilmot wrote to Richard, who joyfully accepted his proposal, and engaged to come home as soon as his present rector could find a substitute. Dr. Spencer was delighted, and, it appeared, had already had a view to such possibilities in designing the plan of the school. The first good effect of Mr. Wilmot's coming was that Dr. Spencer was cured of the vagrant habits of going to church at Abbotstoke or Forholm that had greatly concerned his friend. Dr. May, who could never get any answer from him except that he was not a town councillor, and, as to example, it was no way to set that to sleep through the sermon. To say that Dr. May never slept under the new dynasty would be an overstatement, but slumber certainly prevailed in the minster to a far less degree than formerly. One cause might be that it was not shut up unaired from one Sunday to another, but that the chime of the bells was no longer an extraordinary sound on a weekday. It was at first pronounced that time could not be found for going to church on weekdays without neglecting other things, but Mary, who had lately sat very loose to the schoolroom, began gradually to slip down to church whenever the service was neither too early nor too late, and Gertrude was often found trotting by her side, going to Mama, as the little daisy called it, from some confusion between the church and the cloister, which Ethel was in no hurry to disturb. Lectures and Lent filled the church a good deal, as much perhaps from the novelty as from better motives, and altogether there was a renewal of energy in parish work. The poor had become so little accustomed to pastoral care that the doctors and the district visitors were obliged to report cases of sickness to the clergy, and vainly tried to rouse the people to send of their own accord. However, the better leaven began to work, and, of course, there was a ferment, though less violent than Ethel had expected. Mr. Wilmot set more cautiously to work than he had done in his younger days, and did not attack prejudices so openly, and he had an admirable assistant in Dr. Spencer. Everyone respected the opinion of the travel doctor, and he had a courteous, clever process of the reduction to the absurd, which seldom failed to tell, while it never gave offense. As to the ladies' committee, though there had been expressions of dismay, when the tidings of the appointment first went abroad, not one of the whole Ionian choir liked to dissent from Dr. Spencer, and he talked them over, individually, into a most comfortable state, merely by taking their compliance for granted, and showing that he deemed it only the natural state of things, that the vicar should reign over the charities of the place. The committee was not dissolved, that would have been an act of violence, but it was henceforth subject to Mr. Wilmot, and he and his curates undertook the religious instruction in the week and chose the books, a state of affairs brought about with so much quietness that Ethel knew not whether Flora, Dr. Spencer, or Mr. Wilmot had been the chief mover. Mrs. Ledwich was made treasurer of a new coal club, and Miss Rich keeper of the lending library, occupations which delighted them greatly, and Ethel was surprised to find how much unity of action was springing up, now that the period was over, of each doing right in her own eyes. In fact, said Dr. Spencer, when women have enough to do, they are perfectly tractable. The Coxmoor counts were Ethel's chief anxiety. It seemed as if now there might be a schoolhouse, but with little income to depend upon, since poor Alan Ernstcliffe's annual ten pounds was at an end. However, Dr. May leaned over her as she was puzzling over her pounds, shillings, and pence, and laid a check upon her desk. She looked up in his face. We must make Coxmoor Harry's heir, he said. 
By and by it appeared that Coxmore was not out of Hector Ernstcliffe's mind. The boy's letters to Margaret had been brief, matter-of-fact, and discouraging, as long as the half-year lasted, and there was not much to be gathered about him from Tom on his return for the Easter holidays, but soon poor Hector wrote a long, dismal letter to Margaret. Captain Gordon had taken him to Maplewood, where the recollection of his brother and the happy hopes with which they had taken possession came thronging upon him. The house was forlorn, and the corner that had been unpacked for their reception was as dreary a contrast to the bright home at Stoneborough as was the dry, stern captain to the fatherly, warm-hearted doctor. Poor Hector had little or nothing to do, and the pleasure of possession had not come yet. He had no companion of his own age, and bashfulness made him shrink with dislike from introduction to his tenants and neighbors. There was not an entertaining book in the house, he declared, and the captain snubbed him if he bought anything he cared to read. The captain was always at him to read musty old improving books, and talking about the position he would occupy. The evenings were altogether unbearable, and if it were not for rabbit shooting now, and the half-year soon beginning again, Hector declared he should be ready to cut and run, and leave Captain Gordon and Maplewood to each other, and very well matched, too. He was nearly in a state of mind to imitate that unprecedented boy who wrote a letter to The Times, complaining of extra weeks. As to Coxmore, Ethel must not think it forgotten. He had spoken to the captain about it, and the old wooden head had gone and answered that it was not incumbent on him, that Coxmore had no claims upon him, and he could not make it up out of his allowance. For the old fellow would not give him a farthing more than he had before, and had said that that was too much. There was a great blur over the words wooden head, as if Hector had known that Margaret would disapprove, and had tried to scratch it out. She wrote all the consolation in her power, and exhorted him to patience, apparently without much effect. She would not show his subsequent letters, and the reading and answering them fatigued her so much that Hector's writing was an unwelcome sight at Stoneborough. Each letter, as Ethel said, seemed so much taken out of her, and she begged her not to think about them. "'Nothing can do me much good or harm now,' said Margaret, and seeing Ethel's anxious look, "'it is not my greatest comfort that Hector can still treat me as a sister, or, if I can be of any use in keeping him patient? Only think of the danger of a boy, in his situation, being left without sympathy.' There was nothing more to be said. They all felt it was good for them that the building at Coxmore gave full occupation to thoughts and conversation. Indeed, Tom declared they never walked in any other direction, nor talked of anything else, and that without Hector or George Rivers he had nobody to speak to. However, he was a good deal tranquilized by an introduction to Dr. Spencer's laboratory, where he compounded mixtures that Dr. Spencer promised should do no more harm than was reasonable to himself or anyone else. Ethel suspected that if Tom had chanced to singe his eyebrows, his friend would not have regretted a blight to his nascent coxcombry, but he was far too careful of his own beauty to do any such thing. Richard was set at liberty just before Easter, and came home to his new charge. He was aware of what had taken place, and hardly grateful for the part his father had taken. To work at Coxmoor, under Mr. Wilmot, and to live at home, was felicity. 
and he fitted at once into his old place and resumed all the little home services for which he had been always famed. Ethel was certain that Margaret was content when she saw her brother bending over her, and the sense of reliance and security that the presence of the silent Richard imparted to the whole family was something very peculiar, especially as they were so much more active and demonstrative than he was. Mr. Wilmot put him at once in charge of the hamlet. The inhabitants were still a hard, rude, unpromising race, and there were many flagrant evils amongst them. But the last few years had not been without some effect. Some were less obdurate, a few really touched, and, almost all, glad of instruction for their children. If Ethel's perseverance had done nothing else, it had, at least, been a witness, and her immediate scholars showed the influence of her lessons. End of Part 2, Chapter 15 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona